this include a gratuity? Yes, sir. Call me by my dream name. And she tried to sit on my lap while I was standing up. Mommy. Mommy, why does that girl keep telling me I shouldn't go there? I got good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Semi-Cinematic Podcast. My name is Hunter. My name is John. My name is Max. This week, our main review is of the directorial debut of Joseph Mankiewicz. It's Dragonwick from 1946. And this is a special episode for us because we have our first guest on. He's the host of the Cobwebs podcast, and we, we couldn't be more excited to have him on. Daniel Epler, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be your first guest. Wow, that's an honor. <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. And then before we get into the review, we're going to talk about what we've been watching recently. And Daniel, let's start with you. Oh, sure. Um, I guess I'll go with a, a recent um, wide release that just came out this year. Uh, for our Valentine's Day, my wife and I went to go see Marry Me, which is a new romantic comedy starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. And uh, I, I imagine most people have probably seen the trailer, and the trailer is pretty memorable because of its wild premise. But basically, Jennifer Lopez is about to have – she's a pop star, and she's about to have this very public wedding with her boyfriend, also a pop star – and right beforehand, she finds out he's cheating on her. So she goes out on stage and she picks out a random guy from the audience who is Owen Wilson, who's a math teacher. And uh, she says, all right, come up. We're going to get married. And he does, he thinks she's having a nervous breakdown. So he decides to be nice and says yes. And boom, now this average math teacher is married to Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> and it looks it looks very, very silly. Um but I got to be honest, I had a really good time with it. I am a fan of the romantic comedy genre for sure. And uh, I think the biggest problem with the movie is it's very similar to Notting Hill, which is a, a 90s rom-com with Hugh Grant and, and uh, oh gosh, Julia Roberts. And she's a movie star and he's an average guy and they fall in love. So it, it, And it's not as good as that movie, but it does end up being a pretty sweet movie about very different people kind of finding each other. And it's 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 just not as dumb as I think as the trailers make it look. And Jennifer Lopez is great in it. She acts, she sings, she dances kind of her, her all of her talents are on display in this movie. And and she really, really shines. So, yeah, I, I actually had a good time and I recommend this one. Nice. Nice. Did you check out anything else? Uh, there's actually there's another new romantic comedy that I also checked out recently that this one didn't go to theaters. Um, it, it went straight to Amazon Prime. It's one of those Amazon originals. And it's called I Want You Back. And it has a it has a pretty great cast. It's starring Charlie Day, Jenny Slate, uh, Scott Eastwood, Manny Jacinto and a few other uh, Gina Rodriguez is also in this one. And this movie, I think, is fantastic even though like i do like marry me and i kind of led with that one because it's like the big movie that i think a lot of people have heard of uh, i think this is the movie of the weekend um basically what it is about is charlie day's character and jenny slate's character are both dumped by their their significant others at the same time and they work in each other's building and they recently and they just sort of find each other crying in like the stairwell and they they confide in each other. They both got dumped and they decide to hatch a scheme to get their significant others back uh, back. So Charlie Day befriends Scott Eastwood, who's Jenny Slate's ex-boyfriend. And Jenny Slate tries to seduce Charlie Day's ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend to try to break them up. And this movie is really, really funny. Like, I think with a lot of romantic comedies, you you kind they're heavier on either the romance or the comedy. Uh, Marry Me is a little more of a romance movie. This one, I think, is more of a comedy. And it has just really laugh out loud moments throughout. I think the cast is really strong. But it ends up being really, really sweet by the end. And um, and I just love a great comedy. Uh, I think it's a genre that's not necessarily gotten bad in recent years, but it's maybe slowed down. I think mainstream audiences are a little less interested in comedies nowadays. 
Um, but I just love it when a great one comes along. And I think this is like one of the best of the last few years. So that's I want you back. And people can can check that out on Amazon Prime right now. Oh, nice. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, Max, what have you been watching? Yeah, I got a few watches in this past week. Uh, did a little bit of a of a, a, a Cirque tour. Um, he's got a collection on the uh, Criterion channel right now. And so I checked out Imitation of Life, uh, directed by, again, Douglas Cirque in 1959. Um, I really enjoyed this one. I I don't know how I didn't realize that like uh, Atlanta Turner was the lead, um, but I really liked her performance and... I like the story as well. I mean, again, and we'll kind of get into this too with the main review, but I think sometimes, and this is more just talking to like, you know, friends of mine who maybe aren't as interested in movies or, or if they are, it's, it's, it's more, you know, modern day releases. But, um, I, I think like watching older films and seeing the things that they kind of, the themes and, and challenges and topics that they handle and, and take on really, uh, it is interesting to me. And I, I really like this one. Um, I highly recommend it. It's it's only 125, um, you know, just over two hours, so it, it's it's definitely watchable. Um, so that was one of the, the the first movies that I watched, and the second one um, was Magnificent Obsession, uh, starring Jane Wyman and Rock Hudson, and this probably has one of the uh, wilder openings uh, for a movie that I've seen in a while. Have, has anyone seen this one? A long time ago. I haven't seen it, no. Have, uh, Daniel, have you seen it? Oh, uh, no, I haven't. My my knowledge base with the melodrama is not great, so there's a lot of Douglas Sirk I still need to check out. Gotcha. No, it's it it opens up with this, like, um, I don't even know, like a, a jet motorboat, and um, Rock Hudson's character just, you know, doing laps in this thing, and then just, you know, wrecking it with all the grace and, and technical prestige of a 1954 um, technical or practical effects. He wrecks the boat, and, and then you, know, you find out that a doctor up the road, um, you know, he passes away at the same time because they had to use life-saving, life-saving equipment on Rock Hudson's character. And so um, he spends the rest of the movie trying to kind of make right by the family and um, – in the process, um, you know, blinding one, blinding one of the leads, and or the lead, Jane Wyman, and I, yeah, this one, this one was good too. There wasn't really a, a rhyme or a reason. I think, as we've discussed before, I'm just a bit of a completionist, and so once I, I start something, I, I, I want to go and, and finish the whole collection. Um, so those are the those are the main two for me this week. Uh, yeah, that's what I've got. All right, and John, what did you watch? I've been kind of a, would you say, like an, a bunch of three and a three and a half star movies that like were like decently made, but I wasn't really impressed necessarily or overwhelmingly awed by. Until this week, I picked two films, and I kind of loved them both uh, very much. Um, the first one um, from 1962 is Il Sorpasso, directed by Dino Risi. Um, I guess I'd always like seen this film on like uh, best Italian films kind of lists. And I just hadn't ever watched it or didn't really know anything about it going in. And um, it's kind of a, it's basically a road picture. A couple guys who are very much opposites. One very brash and loud and confident played by Victorio Gossman. And then like a, a quiet studious um, he's, he's starting to be a lawyer, uh, played by Jean-Louis Tritignon. Ah, I'm not good at these names, but uh, it's close enough. But um, it's just interesting seeing the the two opposites um, interact together. The quiet guy comes out of his shell a little bit. The confident guy, there's more to him than just this facade of just being, you know, brash and confident. He drives like a maniac. He has a really distinctive horn on his car. He has something in his car that I've never seen before. He, you know, we have CD players now and or whatever. I hardly ever use those now. He could put 45s into his car and play them like a, it's a compact disc. It was quite something. Huh. Hmm. I don't yeah, I've never seen that before. Or maybe like just like a, a movie magic 
like it wasn't really happening, but it was very interesting to see him popping in 45s to his car. Uh, <laughs> really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I believe this was kind of an inspiration for Easy Rider in a way, um, even though this is more of a comedy. Um, if you haven't seen it, I know, Hunter, I know it's on your list. I highly mm-hmm. recommend it. Um, it's a great kind of microcosm of Italy at the time in the early 60s when they were going through an economic boom. And uh, I don't know. I think it's just there's just a lot to offer here, even just as like a travel log piece of going around Italy. And the director also doesn't always focus on the main characters per se. He gives some screen time to almost like glorified extras. He, he gives these little moments to people that aren't main characters that can really be appreciated. So I really enjoyed that. And then on a more modern choice i'm still working on my best of 2021 even though we're mid-february uh i watched spencer directed by um pablo lorraine i believe his name is mm-hmm. and i gotta say claire uh i say Mathan, the cinematographer who did portrait of lady on fire again she, i think she might be the best in the in the business right now because these films are just so beautiful i'm really really impressed um I enjoyed the movie pretty much uh, like the score was great. Um, it's interesting that it's like a fictional, like a historical fictional piece where these aren't events that actually happened, but taking like real figures and putting them in this situation. Um, I was really impressed. It's it's haunting. It's beautiful. Uh, the performances are really good. It's, uh, it's just... Um, this and the and the Jackie film, I think I think I hope there's a third in this like mm-hmm. make a, you know because these two have just been so effective and I've been really impressed um, just in the choices that ma- they make. They aren't conventional biopic choices and I really appreciated that. Um, there's some surprises here that I did not expect to see and it's just a really I don't know. Just it's just a really enveloping experience that I really appreciated all around. Just like visually, um, audibly, I, I was really impressed. So I could see why I think it's your top of the year so far for last year, Hunter Spencer. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely my favorite of what I saw from last year. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Definitely in the top five for last year at the moment. So those are really the only two I watched besides uh, our feature review. Okay, nice. Yeah, I've got a couple. I watched um, Creatures from the Abyss. This is uh, directed by Alvaro Passeri. And I watched this because I just recently got into the Unsung Horrors podcast. And I think they're talking about this movie next week. Um, It's a pretty wild, late Italian, like late era Italian genre movie. It's obviously a low budget. And the cast, I think only one actor has more than one credit. Wow. Um, I think everyone, yeah, I think everyone except for one actor, this is the only thing that they've done. But uh, they're, and, and, you know, and they're not great, but, <laughs> <laughs> but the entertainment value is, is very high. This is, it's sort of like, like Evil Dead on a boat, but with killer aquatic life instead of demons. Okay. And it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty campy and, I could see someone watching it and absolutely hating it, but I thought it was a really good time. It's on YouTube, and I think if you like kind of cheesy, late-era Italian horror movies, that you'll probably enjoy it. But the best movie I watched last week, and I'm not going to say a whole lot about it because you guys have to see it. Well, Max, you you have seen Smooth Talk, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, so Smooth Talk from 1985. It's directed by Joyce, I think it's Chopra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd never heard of her, but I think this is Laura Dern's first starring role. And I absolutely love this movie. It feels like something Sofia Coppola would make. It's not as stylish as a Sofia Coppola movie, but like these characters, I, like they feel like they belong in one of her movies to me. And it's on the Criterion channel, and it's out on Blu-ray from them as well. And I'm I'm definitely going to get the Blu-ray. I think it's a must-see. It is awesome. Daniel, have you seen Smooth Talk? 
I haven't, no, but it's funny. I can tell you guys are all over the Criterion channel because um, I was kind of browsing through there today and I noticed, oh, they've got a new Douglas Cirque collection. That's cool. Oh, look, they've got a Laura Dern collection and it has Smooth Talk. I've been meaning to watch that. And now <laughs> I, I hop on here and you guys have, uh, that's what you guys are watching. So I think that's very cool. Criterion channel is great. Oh, yeah. No, it, mm. it's amazing. All right. And then that's all I've got. So we're ready to get into the review. Are you guys ready? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, Dragon Wick was made by 20th Century Fox and it was produced by Daryl F. Zanuck, who was the head of the studio at the time. And he's a legendary figure in film history. I mean, he started working in the film industry during the silent era. He was a screenwriter. And then he was the head of production at Warner Brothers. And then he left there and co-founded 20th Century Fox in 1933. And he's produced 248 movies, which is unbelievable. All right, but this was also produced by one of Daniel. This was produced by Ernst Lubitsch, who's one of your favorite uh, directors. And he was originally going to direct this. And I just can't imagine <laughs> this movie being directed by Ernst Lubitsch. I mean, Daniel, can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, I got to think it would have a very different tone. Um, I mean, practically everything he makes has this really light and frothy touch. Like nothing is almost nothing is ever dark or oppressive in his movies. And I would describe this as a very dark and oppressive film. Mm hmm. Yeah, um, but yeah, he did. He was ill and and he couldn't make it. And so Zanuck gave uh, Joseph Mankiewicz, the screenwriter and producer, his first shot at directing. And he did write the screenplay for this. It was adapted from a novel by Anya Seton. And the score is by Alfred Newman, who he was nominated for Best Original Score 45 times. Which, wow. Unbelievable. He won nine Oscars. And then Arthur Miller was the DP, and he was nominated for Best Cinematography six times and won for three. And it was edited by Dorothy Spencer, who edited uh, – she edited quite a few John Ford movies and some Ernst Lubitsch movies as well. So the crew is just top shelf, and the cast is great. I mean, especially in Max, your all-time favorite for former Gene Tierney. <laughs> I mean, That's we true. all love her. I mean, how can you not? Well um, – well, uh oh, uh oh, uh -oh. <laughs> it's a foreshadowing. <laughs> I will say I love her in general, but yes, in general, <laughs> agreed. Yeah, now, and Tierney, she was she made this movie right after Leave Her to Heaven, which was actually Fox's biggest hit of the 1940s. Yeah, as it should be. Yeah, what a film! <laughs> but now, this movie also stars Walter Houston and Vincent Price, but. I feel like we just need to move along because who really cares about those guys? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Vincent Price, come on. Vincent Price, nah. He's he's a nobody. Yeah. <laughs> I really wish he made something of himself, you know? I felt like he could have gone places if only. Yeah. yeah. He's so out of place in this big old haunted house, too. <laughs> I know. Just be there. Poor casting. Yeah. Come on. I can't believe they cast Vincent Price as a man who hates his wife. <laughs> what a shock. <laughs> All right. Well, Daniel, let's uh, let's start with you. What did you think of Dragonwick? Uh, well, I was very excited when you guys asked me to come on for this movie um, because I'd never seen it. But it was a movie that I had been planning to watch for a long time, uh, not just because it's a Vincent Price movie and I do eventually want to see all of his films. Uh, but actually, I've had the Blu-ray on my shelf for a long time. I picked it up in the Twilight Time going out of business sale. Um, so it's been sitting there collecting dust for a bit of time since then. And, uh, and I was very excited to get the chance to pop it in. Um, so this movie, I think it is a it's like a perfect representative example of exactly what a gothic romance film is. It fits in that genre so perfectly. And I would say if you like movies like Hitchcock's Rebecca or Del Toro's Crimson Peak, then this is a must see. Cause I think a lot like so much about that genre is, is really shining through in this movie as a movie itself. I think it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. I would not call it a great movie. I think a problem with it is, it 
it's very bad at holding cards close to its sleeve. And I think a gothic romance film really excels when it can take you on some wild twists and turns and and just feel a little bit more like a pulpy thriller. And I think this movie kind of fails at that in everything about it being very obvious. And I and I don't think that's just modern a modern audience lens and looking at that, I think even in the lens of 1946, it's a pretty obvious movie throughout. Um, but I think it has a lot of great moments, a lot of things that, you know, we'll call out through this discussion. Vincent Price is perfectly cast. Obviously he excels through the movie. I think Gene Tierney is kind of miscast. Um, and I hope that's not too controversial knowing that, that there's at least <laughs> one person on here who thinks she's like the greatest thing ever. And I think she's great too, but I think, I, I don't think she's a very versatile actress and, and I think there's a reason that like her two most iconic roles for sure are Laura and leave her to heaven um, in which she plays this almost like ethereal goddess, like presence of a woman as a farm girl. I, I just don't find mm. her very believable in this role. So I guess that's where I'll start things out. All right. Now, Max, how, how's, how's your blood pressure? <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. Like a little, little <laughs> dress balls. Yeah, <laughs> just 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 squeezing everything. everything. Oh, sorry. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. man, that just shows you how just fired up. Um, <laughs> Can I say one thing about? Uh, well, I would give away the ending. We talk about the ending anyway. While while we're talking about Max dying here, there's a point where someone is still alive, and the doctor does the no, they're gone, but they're still alive. It's such a weird decision that the doctor makes he like feels the heart and he's like no but the person's still moving around and talking <laughs> I just it's, you know it was it was science back then it's I okay the 1840s so i guess you know yeah we were still doing leeches yeah yeah it's you know it's fine uh, one of the prescriptions was like um some scraped onion and sugar <laughs> yeah. interesting. <laughs> uh, no it's I, a to, to Daniel's point, though, I, I, I think I'd agree with that of, you know, again, even the great actresses, um, you know, Barbara Stanwyck excluded, you know, she never met a bad role. But um, <laughs> I could see that for sure. And in terms of, of just not being believable. And I think, yeah, what you know, it, like we've all seen that it, it just it kind of takes you out of the movie a little bit because you're now focusing on this person's performance um, as opposed to you know, the movie and the story as a whole. So I, I'm not, I'm not too torn out. All right. Good. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you're okay. Yeah. Right, well, Max, what are your, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I, you know, this one, you know, again, it's, it's, it's always trying to kind of branch out and get away from, you know, the classics that you, you find on all the lists and books and things. And, and so this one just kind of stood out. Um, you know, the name, it's a very like, I don't know. The name doesn't really match the content of the movie. And maybe that's because like just watching a lot of like, you know, fantasy movies or things like that. There's no dragons. But, <laughs> I know. There's not a dragon in sight. Um, and I, I mean, I guess it's not falls advertising. There's nothing. It's just Gene Tierney and, and Vincent Price crying on the, on the, on the poster. But um, yeah, I, when this one started, I just was kind of interested and intrigued of like where it was going to go. Um, and I went into this one pretty, pretty blind. I, I didn't read a ton of it, you know, a ton about it. Uh, and so as it kind of, you know, kicks in and, and, and you've got this, you know, character kind of being awestruck by this magnificent kind of, you know, castle-esque, I, guess, I mean, I guess it's a castle, um, you know, huge cottage. And, and then, yeah, like the slow unraveling. And, and Daniel, I, I I never really made the connection. You, you mentioned Crimson Peak. Um, or no, I'm sorry. That was, was, that, was that the movie? Yeah, I, I think I mentioned Rebecca and Crimson Peak. Yeah, and I, you know, I I, I saw that one when it came out, Crimson Peak, and, and I again, like you've kind of got the naive. She just wants to escape her life, you know, as a farm girl, and and so is kind of just wooed by. Um, the first person who kind of you know, pays attention to her. That, that and there's even a nice doctor that wants to be with her in both movies. <laughs> True. So lots of parallels there. Um, 
but yeah, I, you know, her performance aside, I, I thought that the story was you know, interesting enough to to move the, to move the the plot along. Uh, Vincent Price, I think for me, um, you know, more so before kind of getting into older films, just knowing Vincent Price as kind of this like schlocky horror, you know, movie actor um, who was still talented, but uh, maybe was more on like the playful kind of silly side, you know, watching, you know, a couple of his movies now where he was just, you know, very more of like a dramatic actor um, and, 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 and was good at it, you know, performed it well. Uh, that, that's, that, that's always a highlight to me. Um, you know, uh, like, like what you mentioned, like leave her to heaven. Uh, that's a great role. And I'm trying to think of the last one I saw. It'll it'll come to me. But those are those are some of like the main takeaways for for right now. All right, and John, what did you think? Well, um, I also thought Gene Tierney was, was miscast. And um, like Daniel said, I think one of the biggest weaknesses with this film is the lack of surprise or just like shocking reveals. I don't know. It's just it's just that element for me can push a film into a much more interesting realm than it is. It's, it is very straightforward. Um, honestly, didn't it, in the beginning, it was a little hard to even you kind of know what's going to happen to Gene Tierney's character, um, Miranda. Like, it's not going to turn out great in the end, most likely. But she's not necessarily that likable until she's defending. um the servant when Vincent Price is being so harsh about the servant's disability and, and she's, she's like, you know, please let her stay with me. Like until then she's just kind of like, I want this parents. Let me do this. So let me be with these, I know, let me have all these nice things and be in this beautiful estate situation. Like there isn't really that much to her that is endearing. It's just a bunch of her saying golly and, like so many times saying golly, <laughs> I was as home as well. Yeah. Um, she gets mad at those ladies at the, um, at the waltz party or whatever. They weren't even being that bad <laughs> to be honest. Um, and she just freaks out. Uh, I just feel like the stakes aren't all that high in this film where I was as invested as I could have been in a similar uh film like similar film style is just just with a betterly a better plot or just tighter script and just i don't or more, better editing i don't know something there's just not enough to grasp onto here um i do love vincent price kind of all the time whether he's serious or more schlocky he's just such an interesting person to watch on screen but i, I do like these older roles where he's more like purely serious as uh max said um yeah, I just uh, it, it felt a little it felt a little flat for me, and I don't I don't I don't enjoy finding ways to dislike a film. And I wouldn't say this I didn't like hate this film or anything, but I was just kind of like rolling my eyes a lot, or just kind of not convinced. Um, even the even the little girl isn't all that likable for a child. <laughs> <laughs> i actually really enjoyed the servants in this both peggy and the um the the lady early on who like sets the tone for it being more of a spooky it's the spooky she introduces the spookiness to the film the servant early on t- telling about the 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 lady in that portrait from years ago and the the ghost and all that like she kind of like sets that gothic tone really well i think she does a really nice job um it's it's kind of interesting. It's I feel like the film's a little bit preachy in a way. Um, there's some weird choices where uh, this guy comes after Vincent Price with a knife, and because someone stop, stops him, he's like, "Oh, he didn't. He didn't really mean any violence. He was just upset. <laughs> he would have totally stabbed Vincent Price if he was allowed to." Uh, so I don't know. Um, it feels like there's some messages going on here that are more more of the focus than entertainment to me. And sometimes that ter- turns me off a little bit. Mm-mm. So I'm, I'm sounding a little harsh. I didn't like, I didn't have a bad time watching the film, but I just, 
I think when I was younger, I would steer away from stuff pre-1960 because I thought they would all kind of be films like this where people think, golly. But I know that's not the case now. There's tons of films I love from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, but this is one that I kind of thought they were all like this, and I was less would have been less invested in getting into them if I had started with a lot of films like this. I might not have delved deeper. So it sounds pretty hard, actually, but, you know, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, being harsh is... Uh... It's, I mean, is just all you can be sometimes. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think we're all kind of on the same page. I mean, I thought that Dragonwick was okay. Um, it does have its moments. And John, I agree. Like the scene with the head maid and uh, Jean Tyranny, where she's telling them about the family curse. Like I thought that scene was pretty effective. And and the actress who plays the maid, uh, Spring Byington which spring buying 10. I mean, that's a gorgeous name, but um, I thought that she was great. And I was kind of hoping that, that some chills would follow. And, and not that I was expecting, you know, something on the level of the, the innocence or anything like that, but the curse is introduced and I, I just don't think it goes anywhere. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And also I, now I might be crazy, but, I feel like Magda, like the head maid and the daughter, Katrine, they just completely disappear from the movie. Yeah. Now, did they? Yeah. Was that worked into the plot at all? I, I didn't feel like it was. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think it just, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I kind of assumed that when Jean Tierney marries Vincent Price, that like, oh, she's going to be finally the good parent to this girl. But then you're right. The girl completely disappears from the movie. Yeah, she's yep. just gone. <laughs> There's that one scene towards the end um, where they're like on the staircase. Mm-hmm. And that's really it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was strange. And, and this is the, you know, Manko, which is, you know, his uh, directorial debut. Um but I didn't think the direction or the cinematography were anything that special. And there's not really a lot to say about the technical aspects of the movie. I thought it was pretty average. And the acting, I mean, is definitely, you know, of this era. And mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't want to, comp- I don't want to say it's all bad, but the actors do, especially Jean Tierney in this movie does that thing where she looks off in the distance while saying their lines yeah. And and I feel like that comes from like performing on the stage and you're you're more so speaking to the audience than you are the other actors on the stage. But mm, yeah. yeah, it's just an acting style or method that's just pretty pretty dated and it just took me out of the movie. And yeah. Uh, but I I did think she gets a little bit better as she goes along i mean once she drops the buffoonery i mean her goofy dialogue is ridiculous like (laughs) there's one scene i mean well when she meets uh dr uh was it jeff turner yeah Mm -hmm. i think dr jeff turner for the first time he asks if she can see her again and she says if you like and he says i would like (laughs) (laughs) like a really awkward exchange um (laughs) <laughs> I am glad they ended up together because he's he's way nicer than Vincent Price's character. Yeah. And just, just a tad. Probably. Yeah. And Miranda, this is uh Gene Tierney's character, she has a little bit of Belle in her from Beauty and the Beast. Like she just wants much more than this provincial life. And instead mm-hmm. but instead of going to a castle and falling in love with the beast, she kind of falls in love with Gaston. Oh, that's well Ooh. said. And it's a very, it's a kind of a weird thing. And Gaston and, and Van Ryan, who is, uh, um, who's that guy? Who's that guy that I didn't care about earlier? Vincent Price. <laughs> um, they, they also both only want sons. So they have that in common. But I think the comparisons do end there. <laughs> um, and Price I did think he was the best performance in the movie. And yeah, uh, John, that scene where he um, is talking about the disabled uh, maid. Yeah. I think he says that he wants her gone because deformed bodies depress him. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty mean. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what Miranda sees in him. I That's mean, I, a big problem with the movie. Yes, mm. absolutely. I do think it, it's kind of like she thinks that with a house like this, who needs a loving husband? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what He's else it patroon. could be. He's going to get all these tributes. You're set for life. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and John, I agree that she's kind of not likable. I mean, she's kind of a gold digger, even though there's there's sort of an innocence to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she's very excited about the number of rooms, and the number of servants that Dragonwick has. <laughs> and and when the count shows up, she's thrilled. Like yeah. she just, she loves the upper class so much. And it's <laughs> somehow she wasn't super unlikable, but she does become more. I, I think you feel for her more once she kind of falls out, out of love with the um, situation. You know, once she feels judged by the socialites. Yeah. I think. Um, I think she, um, her performance gets gradually better, her likability gets gradually better, and her hairstyles get significantly better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's called a character arc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, Price was definitely good. And I did like the scene where uh, Walter Houston, who plays uh, Gene Tierney's father, when he says, I will not know a wicked person and then vincent price walks in i thought that was pretty good mm-hmm. and there were a couple things about his character that i thought must have been way more impactful at the time like saying he's an atheist yeah i could see i mean that. in 1946 that was probably a pretty shocking revelation and in 1846 oh even more yeah 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 and then he says he's a drug addict as well which that line actually made me laugh a little bit. <laughs> Something says, about, I am what is vulgarly known as a drug addict. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, is there any clue as to what he's addicted to? Probably opium, I'm guessing. Yeah, I assumed it was opium, actually. Opium would have been my first guess, too, yeah. yeah. I know one opium, I go to a tower and kind of isolate myself with my book. <laughs> Three to four weeks. <laughs> I like how his um, only transformation is he has like a bit of stubble on his on his face. Yeah. Shaved. You know, your life has gone to hell when you forget to shave for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. I say as a bearded man. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and I did think they could have cut probably all of the scenes with the anti-renters and all of the references to price being a patroon i didn't think that added anything um yeah i, I do I, the, the actor who pulls the knife on price i do like him i think he's in the original dragnet series but yeah that subplot if it had somehow increased the tension of the main plot then there would have been a reason to keep it but i didn't think it did that at all mm-hmm. I guess it's just it, one of the. It kind of gives you. It gives you a little bit more of a picture of like the kind of person that, the kind of entitlement that Vincent Price's character has. But yeah, you really don't get a lot from the almost striking farmer. It's just like one scene. It kind of feels like a throwaway scene to be honest. Mm-hmm. Come back at the end, um, but yeah, it doesn't feel like it adds much at all. I agree. It was interesting that the movie sort it does feel like the plot sort of stops to have this like European versus American exceptionalism debate sort of. Uh, I did think it was interesting, though, and that I felt like it was almost um, relevant today in the way that that uh, there's so many studies going on these days about how younger generations like millennial and under um, are buying houses at such a lower rates than other generations because they can't afford it. And and rental companies are buying up so many properties today that less people can own their own homes. So I felt like, well, wow, this is like relevant to today. And I thought that was very interesting. But I I do agree that it doesn't really do anything for the movie other than be an another window into Vincent Price's soul in that he's not a very good person. Mm-hmm. But I but there are so many windows into that soul anyway. 
<laughs> yeah. They let us know. It's not it's not held back. It's pretty it's pretty hammered in. <laughs> now the scene where the uh, baby is born and then baptized and dies like almost immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. I I did think that scene had kind of a gut punch. Like I I thought it was pretty devastating. And of course, like when Price tells the maid like like why a loathsome little cripple like you was permitted to live and his son die pretty rough but i did think that scene was pretty effective and then yeah like uh we already hinted at like price and his tower yeah i mean you know he does sort of become a character he would later play in the corman poe adaptations so i thought that was kind of fun but yeah overall i i thought it was it was not bad but it just uh i wasn't riveted Mm mm-hmm that's for sure. Speaking of the Corman Poe movies, have you guys seen Tomb of Lygia? A long, long time, a long time ago. I've seen all of the Poe uh, Corman adaptations, but some of them I haven't seen in years. Yeah, it's in some ways it's like a better version of this movie because it's it's sort of it's also a gothic romance film between Vincent Price and Elizabeth Shepard. And he's like this dark, brooding weirdo in a castle, basically. But they like fall in love and get married. But for they, that movie really pulls off making their attraction to each other believable. And it's like one of the only times that Vincent Price has kind of a sexy romance in a movie. Um, but in this movie, like, I, I think, Hunter, you're the one that said, like, the believability of them getting together is so low. Because when he first comes on to her after right after his wife dies, it's really, really creepy. And I was, yeah. like, kind of grossed out by it. And then... Like in the next scene when they reveal she's into him, too, it's unfathomable because he's very handsome, but he's completely off-putting in every possible way. <laughs> it's like right after. It's like it's like yeah. stairs. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. At least at least it feels like like that. Uh, yeah. Just wasting no, any no time. Passing. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. All right. Well, do y'all have anything else to say or should we? Rate this on a scale of one to five golly Moseses. <laughs> I'll just say that I, I, I will defend um, Miranda's likability a little bit and that like I didn't quite have problems rooting for her through the movie because um, I just found in every situation she was in, it was awful. No, if mm-hmm. she was with her family, they're these ridiculously oppressive, crazy religious nuts. And when she's with uh, in the at Dragonwick, like they're all a bunch of crazy, awful people too. So the movie really pulls off this really oppressive, depressing vibe, and which I think it's going for, and I think it's successful in that. But you know, like I said at the beginning, I think its biggest problem is just that it doesn't take us anywhere unexpected. Yeah, yeah. I kind no, of I agree. Be even more strict it feels like they have this really strict front but then they're like well you're going to kind of do what you want anyway so we'll allow it you know like they, they have this facade of being super i mean a father is very religious but he still lets her go the mom kind of takes her side i feel like they could have been even more they, they seem kind of weirdly tolerant for being zealots <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I just hated them. And I thought it was so <laughs> funny when the way that they make the decision is for her to open the Bible at a random spot and then them see yeah. what it says. I mean, it's basically tarot card reading. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't great. I kind of enjoyed that for the weirdness of it, though. Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> that happened. That was, that was very interesting. Uh, yeah, let's rate it. All right. Well, Daniel, what did you give it? Uh, I give it a three out of five. I think it's totally fine. Like I said, I think it's a representative example of what a gothic romance film is. It'll tell you exactly what this genre is all about. Um, And I think Vincent Price is fantastic in it. Uh, I just, you know, it's not great. So I would put it a three out of five. Okay. And uh, Max? I am similar. I'm a three out of five. Not a great start to the tyranny of 2022, but, you know, still a fun watch. Um, you know, 103 minutes. It's it's a nice Sunday afternoon. Throw it on and escape for hour and 43 minutes. So yeah, three out of five. 
All right, and John, what about you? I felt the biggest escape for this film was when it was over. I'm just kidding. It. Well, <laughs> and three three out of fives are a little bit harsher for me, maybe than some, but um, still, you know, all in all, it's a decent film. Just not something I would like re- revisit often. But uh, yeah, three out of five for me, also. All right, and I gave this uh, three out of five. Golly Moses is as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's decent i mean i, I i'm never going to revisit this though and i say this right now i will not rewatch this movie i would not on my own volition if someone else wants to watch it i might join them and refrain from any eye rolling it's a fun- common party movie so that's probably going to come up yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> it's recommended all the time we do a wall, uh, and then we watch the film, and then we, uh, then we prune drugs. What, whatever that. What was it? Oleander. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So oleanders are poisonous. Is that a, a thing? Yes, I did look that up after the movie. They are poisonous. Now I. Um, now this was a Wikipedia article, okay? This was not a uh, academic, you know, book about uh, poisonous plants, but it didn't sound like it sounded like it takes quite a bit to to die from it. I might I might be wrong, but that's what it, the uh, the article kind of made it seem like. Well, the first wife was, you know, probably in her forties. So it might have taken the entire marriage to get to that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Just a drop a day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. All right. Well, this is kind of when we get to where we have some streaming recommendations. And, and Daniel, did you have any? Uh, I, I mean, sure. I could. Uh, can I go with like another tyranny recommendation? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this is one that I watched not too long ago. I saw it on the Criterion channel, I believe. Maybe HBO Max, but I think it was the Criterion channel. And uh, this is Night and City from 1950. Uh, it's a Fox noir film, and um, it's it's mainly starring Richard Widmark. Gene Tierney is sort of his, his girlfriend who's sort of begging him to be a better person, and he just can't do it. I, I described it as really like the 1950s noir version of Uncut Gems, in that Richard mm. Widmark is this really pathetic loser basically who is constantly seeking some kind of win whether it be through gambling or some kind of uh business scheme he's always on the hunt for a get rich quick scheme and it's constantly biting him in the ass and for him to have to run away from people trying to kill him or something like that um and his scheme in in this movie through most of it is he's trying to become the big head honcho of wrestling in his town and he's basically messing with some really bad people and trying to push them out of the business. And it's a really, really dark and intense noir film. Um, and it's very stressful. And a movie's always going to be stressful when it's about a protagonist who is always struggling for a big score and is, but is a loser and can't do it. And um, Gene Tierney is really like, the only like moral part of his life and the person who's like begging him to be better so that they can get married. And, and, and the movie really breaks your heart and how he treats her over and over again because he cannot get his shit together. So uh, it's a really cool uh, dark noir film that I would recommend. Oh yeah. That's an awesome movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That movie too. That's a great choice. Nice. All right. And Max, this is your first, uh... Oh wait, is this your second tyranny? Uh, 2022 pick? Technically, yeah. Okay. Dra- Dragon Week was the first, so it was okay. all t- wrapped up one. Um, yeah, so you know the pressure's on, and yeah, so we're gonna follow up with it with a, another Tierney pick, also another Mankiewicz um, Mankiewicz pick, and it's 1947's The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. Muir. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that one always trips me up. But anyway, um, it's on Criterion. Uh, stars Gene Tierney, Rex Harrison. Um, it's uh, yeah, and also a young Natalie Wood, which is uh, a fun little uh, cameo there. But uh, quick watch. It's it's much better than Dragonwick. Um, 
it's not quite a romance between the two um, of Rex Harrison and Gene Tierney, but more of like a, a friendship and uh, um, well, until the end. But yeah, highly recommend that one. And that is also on the Criterion channel. All right. And I have a, a bleak of, oh, wait, no, I can't. Oh, John, I almost skipped over you. Can you believe this? I, Did I do this last week, too? It's happened. It's okay. Yeah, I would have been oh. okay. I squeezed my phone a little bit tighter. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, John, what what is your uh, free dream stream? Well, it's it's way out of anything near what we've been talking about so far. But it's a it's a film that is best served by knowing nothing going in except that I liked it. <laughs> uh, it's called Coherence from 2013. It's kind of a science fiction mind bender. Oh, yeah. I've seen this. I, I really enjoyed this. I kind of just stumbled upon it from like a list of things that are, you know, like science fiction films you might not know about or, you know, under the radar. And it really, I think it's really effective. It's a, you know, no one you're going to really know in this. It's pretty low budget, but the premise is really, really entertaining and it kind of just like grabs you and then you're in this situation for 90 minutes with these characters and you're not really sure what's going to happen so there's a lot of uh twists and turns and i think it's a lot of fun and uh can be a little bit on the darker side too so Mm -hmm. it's streaming free free on prime well not prime prime's not free what am i talking about it's on (laughs) canopy and pluto for free and uh i think it's worth a watch and i'd be definitely interested if you haven't seen it let me know what you think, because uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Some things to talk about. Yeah, yeah, uh, I like that one quite a bit. Yeah. Cool. All right. So that brings us to my bleak of the week, and this week it is Threads. Have any of you guys seen Threads? It's a British I, movie. I almost watched it this week, and maybe I will after this after this uh, mention. But I was very I, I had hovered over the uh, whatever you call it, you know the icon and then i watched something else i think i watched spencer instead all right so this is a i'm just going to do the letterboxd uh synopsis not that it's a complicated plot but it's just sometimes you just need words provided for you (laughs) um all right so it's a documentary style account of a nuclear holocaust and its effect on the working class in sheffield england and the eventual long-run effects of nuclear war on civilization. And this is a made-for-TV movie, but it is very effective. It is, it's got some pretty graphic imagery, especially for a made-for-TV movie. Although in England, they seem to be, censors were maybe a little more lenient with television than they were yeah, definitely in uh america like in the 80s but it's a really grim movie uh it actually has one element from last week's bleak of the week which was uh flesh and blood there is a stillborn birth in this movie so it's very unpleasant nothing good happens to anyone in this obviously i mean it's a nuclear (laughs) (laughs) incident but it is streaming. Okay, now this is streaming everywhere. It's on AMC Plus, Tubi, Canopy, Shutter, Movie, and Arrow. Wow. So if you can't find it, that's a you problem. <laughs> you need more. You need more help than I can offer. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's a great movie. I really loved it. Um, and that's all I've got got to say about the bleak of the week. All right, so up next, we're going to hear a trailer for the movie we're going to be talking about next week, which is going to be Vittoria De Sica's The Children Are Watching Us. Hello, I'm Martin Scorsese. It's tempting to think of the trends and movements in movie history as organized, even planned events, uh, but that's almost never the case. The Italian neorealist movement, for example, began mostly out of necessity. Filmmakers in the years after World War II couldn't afford sets or actors, simply went without them, and a new style began to emerge. The same goes for the director, Vittorio De Sica. His career didn't begin spontaneously with neorealist classics like Shoeshine and The Bicycle Thief. Those films grew out of his own experience and the things he saw happening to his country. Before World War II, De Sica had been a movie star, 
the Italian equivalent of Cary Grant in a way. He then moved into directing and made several successful and you might say forward-looking pictures working inside the state-run Italian film industry. One of them was the movie we're about to see from 1942, The Children Are Watching Us. In some ways, this is a lot like Tzika's neorealist films, like Shoeshine and the Bicycle Thief is told mostly from a child's point of view. It was also Tzika's first film with the screenwriter Cesare Zavattini, his partner in the neorealist films. In other ways, this movie bears the stamp of the Italian studio system, which was run by the fascist government under the dictator Benito Mussolini. The actors are professionals. It uses mostly studio sets, and it doesn't have the sense of social and economic turmoil that's so much a part of the neorealist movement. Even the title is a kind of admonition, like a warning to parents to be on their best behavior because, after all, the children are watching us. All right, and so... Uh, with this review, we are going to kind of move away from kind of randomly selected reviews, and we're going to each start our own series. And for me, I mean, I love Italian movies, and so we're going to kind of go on a journey, I guess, through Italian cinema, like starting in the 40s and then going through the 80s. And I think it's going to be interesting. I just love Italian film history, like starting with neorealism. And then kind of going into like the kind of like the pinnacle of art house cinema with Bellini and Antonioni and then switching kind of doing this hard switch like in 1969 to genre movies that you know are currently just you know like Italian genre movies from the 70s I feel like are just so beloved by cult f- film enthusiasts right now. And then we are going to get into the 80s which there are some gems. But in the 80s, Italian cinema got pretty trashy. And we're going to talk about two movies I haven't seen, but I think are going to be... I'm going to go ahead and warn you, John and Max. I don't think that they're going to be very pleasant watches, okay? <laughs> I'm okay with that. I mean, okay. I so weirdly, I think you, a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, you mentioned someone eating an egg in a weird way. And I've seen that happen in a film three times since then. <laughs> Oh, weird. <laughs> you put it into the atmosphere and it, it pops up. <laughs> That's really strange. Isn't that strange? <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure that we'll... Um, outside of the, the selections from the 80s, I think that there's going to be some pretty good stuff. And then, John, you're going to have um, your own series as well. And and, and Max is going to have a series. But mm-hmm. I think we'll we'll talk about... We'll get to that, though. We're not going to talk about that right now. Yeah, keep it under wraps for a little bit. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Daniel, hey, thank you so much for uh, joining us. This was it was definitely great, great fun to have you on the show. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you guys a lot for having me. It was uh, a lot of fun to be finally be able to watch this movie and to talk about it with you with you guys. You made it a yeah. lot more fun to talk about than it was to actually watch the movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of movies that are more fun to talk about than to watch. I've, I've discovered this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Event Horizon, you know, great example. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I'm not an Event Horizon fan either. So. <laughs> oh, good. Ooh, it's tough. <laughs> what a ride. Uh, Daniel, where can, um, where can people find you and the Cobwebs podcast? Yeah, you can check out my podcast on any podcast app. It's like uh, Hunt, it's like Hunter said, the Cobwebs Podcast, um, where we t- we mainly talk about pre 1970s movies. Really focused on old stuff over there. Um, I just wrapped up a series on romantic comedies, and we're about to kick off a series in March on Steve McQueen, which is our first uh, actor focused series. So that's going to be fun. Um, and you can find uh, me on Twitter at Epler Daniel, and you can find uh, the podcast on Twitter at Cobwebs Pod. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and please follow Daniel and subscribe to the Cobwebs podcast, because I I really do think it's an essential show for classic movie lovers. It's a great show. That's very kind. Thank you, man. I've been listening uh, this like this past week while at work, which was great because my work experience is very noisy. So it's nice to like (laughs) lock that out. And I've been really enjoying it. Uh, So I'm definitely a loyal listener now. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And. I got to say, I never really thought of doing rom-coms in February, but that might be like a new November rom-com February, an excuse to watch a bunch of rom-coms that I haven't really 
gotten to. So right, absolutely, it's a good time. <laughs> Never thought that that should be a thing, but I'm, I think I'm into the idea. So, all right, I've sold one person. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and John, you have our social media ready to go. I sure do. Uh, on Instagram, we're semi underscore cinematic, which is the same as our Twitter handle. Uh, on Facebook, it's semi cinematic pod, all one word. On Letterboxd, we're semi cinematic, which has lists of the films we review as well as our individual segments in case you want to catch up. And our email is semi cinematic pod at gmail.com. Give us your praise and your complaints. We'll take it all. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of the show. And thank you for listening. And I hope everyone has a good week. Yeah, absolutely. See you guys next time. Thanks again, Daniel. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye.